Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. This talk is taken from our series Exploring Advent, a time when together we learn what it is to face darkness, see light and wait expectantly. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Good morning. Hello. Um, Thank you, Rich, for your very warm welcome. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Will. I've been part of Oasis for encroaching upon 10 years. And it's a, yeah, I know, very good. Uh, It's a real joy and privilege to share this morning. Um, And I'm continuing on from Mike in our three-part series looking, um, or in Advent, looking at Isaiah 9. So Advent, um, we as Christians celebrate this period every year. And this word or time period of Advent comes with many connotations for all of us. And for most of us, it's the build-up to Christmas. Um, It's exciting, and we love it. And it will involve counting down those days till Christmas, the thought of opening another door in our Advent calendar to find a very undersized piece of chocolate, Um, walking into any shop to see Christmas lights and hear Mariah Carey, Or maybe it's the joyful or daunting thought of times with family or loved ones. Um, The imminent arrival of lots of presents. And these are all associated with Advent. Um, Emily's family, my wife Emily, love Christmas. Um, Not that I don't, but I mean they really do. Uh, For me, part of Advent every year is the expectation of a question that Emily's mum will ask me every single year. Will, are you a... Christmassy kind of guy. Um, and the word Christmassy is absolutely mandatory in how it's asked. Um, little jiggle of the shoulders too when you ask it. Um, and sometimes I get this multiple times in a single Advent. Um, and if I didn't already realize it was Advent, I certainly do now. 
I sometimes wonder if it's all part of the vetting process for Emily's dad about whether he'd say yes when I asked Emily to marry me. It was all a test all along. Uh, and the answer to this question I give has varied over the years. Initially, on seeing the excitement Emily's family had towards Christmas, particularly Emily and her mum, when I was first asked this question, uh, when dating, I should add, are you a Christmassy kind of guy? I knew I had to come across enthusiastic. So I did my best. I presented myself to be very passionate about all the things I perceived were right to say. And the year after, I soon realized how much more enthusiasm I needed, how much more my response needed to declare how joyful I was about Christmas. And I spent every year re-realizing this over and over again. Now, however, I've changed my response. I gain great joy in an antagonistic answer to this question. So when posed and when asked by Emily's mum, are you a Christmassy kind of guy? I'll answer along the lines of, nah, not really. Don't get too excited. Not really my cup of tea. Um, and I find the response golden anyway. Um, I think it's funny, but I don't think she does. Uh, but I associate this with Advent, and many of you here will have associations you put on the time period of Advent. And the word Advent means arrival or appearing of a notable person or thing. For Christians, it has two meanings, both around the idea of preparation. A period of preparation as we celebrate the birth of Jesus again, but also a preparation for the coming of Christ again. And the history of our today Advent celebration is a little bit unclear. It's a Christian tradition which probably stretches back to about 480 AD. And it commences on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, as Mike started us last week. And it's heavily associated, or was heavily associated, with the idea of fasting. Where people would fast three times a week over these four weeks. I find it funny how of all the traditions of Christmas, this is one we've somehow misplaced along the way. Um, and Advent's not solely about this build-up to Christmas, where we again celebrate Jesus' birth. As Timothy Keller says, it's not simply about a birth, but about a coming. Yes, it is a celebration of the day Jesus came into the world in human form, but also an anticipation and an excitement about Jesus coming again. Ultimately, Advent should just point our eyes to Jesus. Let him be the focus of our attention once again. Focus our eyes to that light in that darkness we heard last week. And this is where Isaiah 9, as Lucy read to us, points us this morning. Um, and it's not a particularly book, uh, easy book to read, Isaiah. Phil Moore says that if the book of Isaiah does not make your head hurt, you are not reading it properly. It was designed to stretch your mind and blow your senses with the greatness of God. Thank you for Adrian and Mike for asking me to speak on Isaiah. Um, but Jesus understood this. He understood that it was a declaration of the greatness of God. And that's why after the Psalms, it's the book of the Old Testament Jesus references the most from the whole of the, New, uh, the, whole of the Old Testament. But I suppose Jesus probably couldn't actually quote from the New Testament. Um, but... Paul also sees this in his letters, and that's why it's the book he quotes the most from the Old Testament too as well. And I just want to hone in on verse 6 this morning. And these are beautiful verses. We probably hear them every carol service we've ever attended. 
Um, and there's no way in reading them that you cannot be excited about the hope of who Jesus is today. So Pope Francis says that Advent increases our hope, a hope which does not disappoint. So this is verse 6 again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if you're in any doubt about who these verses were referencing, Jesus declares in Matthew 4, verses 13 to 16, that it's all about him. These verses are all pointing to him. And Isaiah says that this child will be called various titles. He doesn't say this is who Jesus will be. He says this is what the child will be called. And I think the word called just puts a much greater emphasis on it. It's all good me saying I am something or I am, this is who I am, but I'm not being it. But if people are called, it means other people think the same. What I am called has implications on my character, who I am. Um, some of these true, probably some of these not true, I hope. Um, and there's a number of nicknames I have for Emily, uh, which I'm not going to share this morning. But I call her those things because that's who she is to me. Jesus would be called these names because that's who he is. It's a reflection on his character. Jesus is that hope in that darkness. So let's explore these titles this morning. So firstly, Wonderful Counselor. Technically, the Hebrew can be translated with a comma, but I don't think that affects the magnitude of these words. And the word wonderful is used about 13 times in the Old Testament, all of them referring, or nearly all of them, referring to the actions or the work of the Lord. Wonderful, also translated as extraordinary, hard to understand, inspiring delight, or extremely good. And I'm just drawn to the comparison of creation, where we hear extraordinarily good, where God just describes creation as good. But Jesus is wonderful, extraordinarily good. These two things are incomparable. And it also links the Son to the Father. By using a word, or Isaiah using a word which was reserved for describing the wonder of God as the Father, is now described or used to describe this newborn child to the world. Counselor, meaning to advise, to consult, give counsel, purpose, devise, or plan. And it's a much more commonly used word. And the word is used to describe a number of bad counselors through the Old Testament. It's not solely reserved for God. So in 2 Kings, we see King Jeroboam take counsel. Uh, and this council he took, the very same words, leads to him building two gold calves as idols for worship. We see a lot of bad counsel taken, but this is our wonderful counselor, our extraordinarily good advice giver. And counselor in the UK is a word we're probably very familiar with. It's a person who's trained to give guidance on personal or psychological problems. Let's just stop and ponder that a second. Jesus is our counselor. He is eager and willing to advise and counsel us. And lots of other counsel can be good, and God uses and speaks through other forms of people and other things. But how often do we turn to other forms or other things as our first point of call? 
or only to God when others have failed or things have fallen short, to Google, to a friend, and not to God as our source of wisdom and advice. A big part of uh, seeking a counsellor involves an acknowledgement that we may have a weakness or that we may be in need. That someone else have some, may have something to add which is of benefit to your situation or crisis. It involves humility to recognise this. To take advice is in part recognising our need for help. That someone else could offer more wisdom than we could find within. And Jesus is the most wonderful of counsellors, but can only offer advice, purpose or plans if we recognise that need and seek it. Whilst preparing for this talk, I've been reflecting on these verses and particularly the idea as Jesus as a counsellor. I'm happy for God to advise me on spiritual things, relational matters, a house move, life ambitions, what to do in difficult situations. Yet, when it came to the clinical specifics of my daily work, I'll put my hand up and say, I've never thought to seek God's advice on that. This was my thinking. God, you're not a dentist. I mean, I'm happy for you to bless my hopeful attempts at dentistry, but you're not a dentist. You're just not going to get this. You don't understand. I don't think you know the best way of doing this thing. Um, But Jesus, as our wonderful counsellor, has really struck me. And maybe you're thinking, well, duh, of course he can. Of course he can advise you on that situation. Or potentially you're thinking, I've never thought to seek God for work-based or specific technical advice on a matter. Maybe we need to extend our view of God's counselling ability. Mighty God, mighty, strong, powerful, brave, These are words I'm very used to being described as. Um, Not the case. I would would love to be described as mighty, but genuinely I tend to hear scrawny or skinny, um, which is actually quite useful as I do a lot of running, so I'm okay with those titles. Um, But the Hebrew word for mighty is regularly used throughout the Old Testament to describe mighty men. Samson was mighty. David had his band of mighty warriors. 37 of them. And less frequently do we hear this in regard to God. But here we see Isaiah proclaiming the son to be born as a mighty God. And this same name, mighty God, we see used later in Isaiah 10, 21, in direct reference to God the Father. It's just a clear statement of Jesus' divinity and ties the Father and Son together once again. And Israel always desired a mighty king who would gain victory over their enemies. When Isaiah prophesies this, as Mike touched on last week, Israel is in currently one of their darkest hours. Israel is in essence under the rule of the Assyrians. And Israel is led by their own puppet ruler, Hoshea, who murdered their previous king. So now, more than ever, they want a new mighty king. So this descriptive prophecy would have intrigued their appetites. They'd be so excited about the idea of having a mighty God. They'd be desperate for someone to lead them out of this darkness. But ultimately, it would not be delivered in a way they would anticipate. A baby 
born in a stable. Everlasting Father. Everlasting, forever, continued existence. He's not going anywhere. He will be and will always be. We've just explored in Jonah as a church where we've seen the everlasting love of the Father. Now, Jesus is described as a father. But yet, only seconds ago, as I was describing him as a son and a child, a little bit confusing, you'd say. Uh, But the meaning of this word father can be as God, as a father of his people, or someone as a head or group of a clan of people, both of which we see in Jesus. And the word father, I just think, links the father and the son together once again in this trinity, demonstrating that this child to be born would be God. And I'm sure we all have varying views of father figures here, potentially distant, not present, abusive or uncaring, or maybe an excellent role model and a loving father. Yet we all have a deep-rooted desire to experience a father's love. And here in this picture of Jesus, love of the father is on offer. An everlasting, non-circumstantial love. As we saw in Jonah, an unconditional love. Jesus speaks into this fatherly figure in Luke 15, where we see the story of the prodigal sons. A story of a father and a child. A child who sins against his father, leaves his father, yet his father never stops loving him and continues to love him. And this is from Luke uh, 15, verse 20. So this is a response of the father to his son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. In Jesus, an everlasting father is present. Prince of peace. Prince meaning simply a leader. And the Hebrew word for peace here is shalom, which means completeness, soundness, welfare, or peace. So in essence, a prince of peace could be a leader who brings completeness. Tish Harrison Warren, in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, discusses this desire we should have for peace. A longing for and a vision of God's shalom. A very pregnant word that means God's all-consuming, all-redeeming peace. The hope of a kingdom where God is worshipped holy, where humility, or humanity extends love and mercy with generosity, where systemic injustice is broken and the oppressed are set free. That is peace. Who doesn't want peace? Peace in relationships with family members, with that cruel boss at work, Peace in the Middle East, in North Korea, or simply peace in our heart when our days make us stressed and anxious. This child would be a peace bringer, a light bringer in that darkness that Mike explored last week. And reading these verses during Advent can lead to confusion. Jesus, who has come, was called all of these things Yet, when I look around the world, all I see is brokenness. How can Jesus be 
this wonderful counsellor, this prince of peace, this everlasting father, this mighty God, this saviour to the Israelites, who has come, yet so many of these problems are still ongoing. And we, as Christians or humanity living in society today, we are in a period of now and not yet. We live between the two comings of Christ, where Jesus being the beginning of the new creation, we can celebrate what he has done, recognize the state of the world is not quite as it should be, proclaim the good news about Christ or about who Christ is in preparation for him coming again. And to summarize these titles in Isaiah verse 9-6, what we have Isaiah prophesizing is a leader who will be extraordinarily good, an advice giver, yet strong and powerful, continuing in existence, acting as a father figure, and bringing wellness and completeness. What's not to like about those titles? As a before Christ Jew reading this, you'd be getting pretty excited about this prospect. As a post-Jesus Christian, we should be getting pretty excited about this reality. Surely, though, this, this is too good to be true. Jesus can't be this good. There has to be a catch. There isn't a catch. It just gets a little bit better, in fact. For, as we see in verse 6, it's, it's for us. For a child is born to us, a son is given. And the Message Bible translation puts it like this, just putting more emphasis on us. It says, for a child has been born to us. The gift of a son for us. And what exactly does that mean if something is for us, for me, for you? As we're in Advent, I thought the context of a picture of a, of a present would be a useful picture to go by. So if I have a present um, and I give it to someone, it will have that name on, their name on it, maybe their address. It would clearly demonstrate it is for you. It would probably be presented to you, likely in person handed over to you. The gift is for you. This child was for us. Jesus was for us, for me, for you, handed over to us on the cross. And gifts cannot be earned. I cannot go to work, see a few patients, earn an income, and then to, in order to inherit a present of that patient. Equally, at home, I cannot do all the washing, the cleaning, mow the lawn, wash the car, all of which I do anyway. Um, doing those things does not mean that Emily's going to give me a present. Work slash money do not result in receiving a gift. And in these worldly analogies, potentially if we do things well, my job well or the housework well, it may increase the likeliness of me receiving a gift. But this isn't the case with God. Nothing affects the fact that child was for us, the son was given to us freely. As Isaiah proclaimed in verse 2, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is Jesus, a gift to the world, a gift to us. But with every gift, we ultimately have a choice. Firstly, we, we can reject it decline it, have nothing to do with it, 
Give the gift back. Say, I'm okay, thank you. Secondly, we, we can accept it, but never use it. Never appreciate it or action it into our lives. And thirdly, we can accept it fully, incorporating it into our daily lives and trusting in that gift. And maybe up until now, you have continuously declined this gift of Jesus. And right now you're thinking, you know what, I'd, I'd quite like to say yes. Um, well, please do, please come and talk to me or someone else you know well. Um, and I'm sure I or they would love to chat. But I think for a lot of us, this will swing on our level of acceptance. Whether we have accepted this gift of Jesus into every single aspect of our lives. Or whether we've received this gift put it in the attic from Monday to Saturday, and then re-embrace it on a Sunday. Or, as we are encouraged to do in Colossians 2, verse 6, which says this, You have received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it, and let your living spill over into thanksgiving. This gift of Jesus brings light into the world and light into our lives. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm just going to invite the band to come and play again for us. Um, and as they play um, over us, maybe for a few minutes, we can just reflect on the idea of that gift, on the idea of who Jesus was and who he is today. Um, and as Andy starts playing, I've just got a few questions that I'd like to kind of end on. Um, so maybe we can think over these as we, we respond in worship. Uh, so firstly, do you appreciate the magnitude of this gift do you recognize this gift was and is for us? And are you going to do anything about that? Letting this gift of Jesus infiltrate into every aspect of our being? I'll just say those again. So do you appreciate the magnitude of this gift? Do you recognize this gift was and is for us? And are you going to do anything about that? Letting this gift of Jesus infiltrate all aspects of our being. Mm -hmm.